Greetings, everyone. This is Pastor Mike. Thanks for joining me today. I'm here in my office with my Bible open to Romans chapter 12, where we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 12. And over the last several episodes, we've been looking at the verses just before this passage, which talk about spiritual gifts. Every person who is in Christ, who is in the body of Christ, has been given a gift of grace in a specific area imbued with power to build up others in the body. Immediately after describing these gifts in verses 6 through 8, Paul now begins in verse 9 where he says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. This passage resembles what Paul does in 1 Corinthians, where in chapter 12, he gives detailed teaching on spiritual manifestations and how the church functions as a body that has many parts and yet functions as one. Then in chapter 13, Paul inserts this incredible description of love that we all know so well and the admonition that no spiritual gift or manifestation can be rightly understood or practiced without love. He starts in 1 Corinthians 13 where he says, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I have nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. This is essentially what Paul is doing in the entire second half of Romans chapter 12 as well. Love is like a plumb line or a measuring stick by which we can measure whether, whether we are using our spiritual gift in a way that is consistent with the nature of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is so important for many reasons. Among those is that it also helps us to understand the nature of Satan's attacks on us. Why is that? Satan will most often attack us at the point of our strength at the point of our gifting. Now, it seems that more often, we tend to think of spiritual attack coming at the point of our weakness, at the point of our greatest vulnerability. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but our flesh generally doesn't need a whole lot of help in that area. We all know those areas of our lives where we regularly struggle, where our flesh is weak. But Satan knows that if he can derail or distort the, that thing that God has placed in me that was specifically designed to bear fruit, that was specifically given to me to be used by him for effective and powerful ministry, then Satan succeeds in making me ineffective and unfruitful. I then become like the unfruitful branches that Jesus describes in John 15 that are gathered and thrown into the fire. They're of no use because they're not bearing fruit as they were designed. You can see why Satan would focus on either distracting us from using our gift 
so we're just busy but not fruitful, or would tempt us to use that gift in such a way as to misrepresent the nature of the gift giver. Love is the measure by which I can know that the fruit that is being born in my life and through my life is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in me. Something I've discovered is that for every spiritual gift, there is a fleshly counterfeit that is unique to that gift. There are plays in the devil's playbook that are designed to subvert each gift. For example, those with the gift of prophecy can be vulnerable to being overly subjective in their discernment. Prophecy will always align with God's already revealed truth. 2 Peter 1.20 says that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Paul told the Corinthians, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the Lord's people. So Paul knew that those with this gift, with the gift of prophecy, will have a greater tendency towards subjective interpretation at the cost of accountability and orderly worship that's for the benefit of the whole congregation. So Paul makes them aware of this so they can resist this attack or temptation. Those with the gift of service can struggle with jealousy and the frustration of doing too much. Martha is a classic example of this. Luke chapter 10, Martha is serving by making all the preparations for Jesus to be at her house while her sister Mary is just hanging out with Jesus, enjoying this time of being in his presence. Martha gets angry at Mary and complains about it to Jesus. But Jesus says to Martha, she has chosen the better thing. Ouch. Jesus points out the value of being in his presence as, a, as opposed to just doing, doing, doing for him. There's a value in both doing and being. The one with the gift of service will often struggle with finding that balance and will struggle with those who prioritize spending time and resting in God's presence as opposed to serving in more tangible and practical ways. So heads up for that. Those with the gift of teaching can struggle with being pharisaical, where spirituality is measured in relationship to knowledge. But theology is not life. Jesus constantly showed that there must be a balance between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law and the dangers that come from losing that balance. This is something that someone with a gift of teaching has to be particularly aware of. Now, the one with the gift of exhortation has to be watchful against self-righteousness and judgment of others. Someone with a gift of exhortation can often see better than others a clear distinction between right and wrong, between the path that should be followed as opposed to the wrong path. With this discernment often comes the struggle to bear with those who willfully choose the wrong path or the struggle to resist using their words to judge rather than to exhort, which is that right combination of imploring and encouragement. Those with the gift of giving will often struggle with being controlling. Paul says that those who have the gift of giving should give generously or without strings attached. 
They should give with an open hand and resist the temptation to use their generosity to manipulate or control others. So those with this gift have to be on guard against that tendency. Those with the gift of leadership can be prone to overlooking the needs of the one. And constantly looking at the big picture, they neglect to see the pain and the needs of that forgotten person. Now the person with the gift of mercy will often find themselves with the opposite issue. While the person with the leadership gift might lack empathy for the one, the person with the gift of mercy will become so consumed in empathy for that person that they get weighed down by their burdens and then struggle to roll that burden off onto the Lord. Someone with the gift of mercy also has to be on guard against bitterness because they feel someone else's pain so acutely they can take on that person's offense and allow bitterness to take root in them instead of exercising forgiveness and reconciliation. It's then that the gift gets derailed or distorted. Spiritual gifts are not only an expression of God's nature, but an expression of God's authority. We often don't think of it that way, but it's true. Where God has given grace and favor, there is the imprint of his authority. When I recognize God's gift in someone else, and allow God to bless me through that person, I am in fact submitting to God's authority. For that blessing has been given to that person by God for my benefit. And I then have the choice to accept that blessing with gratitude and joy, or to be prideful and reject it. To reject it is to reject God's authority, which is the definition of rebellion. That's why Satan attacks at our strengths. Because pride that leads to rebellion is the primary characteristic of Satan's nature. Lucifer was cast out of heaven for leading a rebellion in heaven. His pride caused him to desire for himself the worship that belongs to God alone. A third of the angels in heaven were pulled into this rebellion and were cast down from heaven. Now wherever there is the presence of God's authority, there will be opposition and temptation to, in my own pride and self-centeredness, reject that authority and operate in my own nature rather than in the power and character of God's nature, which is present in me through the Holy Spirit and in extra measure through the spiritual gift that I've been given. Today, let's affirm by faith that gift of grace that has been given us. Then let us submit ourselves to God resist the devil, and know that in doing so, he will flee from us. That's God's promise. Let love be the rule of the fellowship, that the world may know that we are his people. Amen.